Okay, now, I wonder whether you've ever really, really wanted something. Not something bad, but something good. Something that you know is going to be good for you, or maybe your family. You've waited, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed. And you've pleaded with God for it. Could be that you st- you're still waiting for it. For some, it may be the Christian godly husband or wife. I know for many of my friends in London, that's, that's still a desperate prayer. For some, it may be a place to call home for you or your family. For some, um, it may be the health of somebody sick or uh, a loved one. For others, it may be a child. We see that in the passage today with Abraham. I wonder how many of you have had that answer, uh, that prayer answered after many years. It's an amazing demonstration of God's love when that happens, isn't it? Your years of patiently waiting and trusting God and it pays off and God answers your prayer. Now, how would you feel soon afterwards that prayer, that thing that you received was taken away from you? Would your world fall apart? Would you lose faith in God? Would you rail against God? Would you shout and scream and blame God for that? Well, I want you, as you look at the passage today, I want you to remember that Isaac was 25 years in the waiting. He was 75 when God first made that promise to him. And by the time Isaac was born, he was a hundred years old. And they so desperately wanted a child. Both Abraham and Sarah wanted a child that they tried alternative means. They they went through Hagar and had a son through that, and that caused all sorts of problems. And 25 years later, 24 years later, when when God reminds him of that promise, Isaac, Abraham laughs. You see, the cynicism and the bitterness has slightly set in. He laughs. How can I, someone 99 years old, have a child? Sarah, who is 90. And Sarah, when she hears of it from the stranger, she laughs as well. I'm barren. How can I have a child? But it happens, doesn't it? The miracle happens. And they watch him grow. And notice how the passage clearly states that Isaac is his one and only son whom he loves. It makes that really clear, doesn't it? Isaac, your one and only son whom you love. So I'm going to read the passage. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. 
Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the, the knife. As the two of them went up uh, on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham re replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the, the burnt offering? <coughs> Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built, up the, uh, built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar and on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld your son uh, from me, your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there was a, in, the th in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not, have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sands on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of their, the city of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off to, uh, together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. So I'm going to split this into two parts. Firstly, looking at this great figure, Abraham, who is called the father of Israel. All the Jews look to Abraham as their father. And we're going to see why he is held up to be such a great figure. And then secondly, we're going to have a look at why Jesus is so central to this. Now, the Jews know this story. It is a very, very familiar story. And the Muslims know this story. It's also a really difficult one, isn't it? I, I have to confess, I have really kind of struggled with this passage and try, trying to figure out how to teach it and find the learning points from it. So I've got these two points. And my first point is this. Great faith comes from knowing and trusting God. Great faith comes from knowing and trusting God. Now... As a teacher, I often have to discipline my students um, and punish them. And I'm a strong believer in letting them know exactly why they've been punishing, uh, punished and educating them as to the reason why. Uh, somehow, sometimes, however, it can get really, really bogged down. You know the kind of students who just argue anything or just don't, they don't understand. Yeah, they don't understand why they've been punished, but they've done it and they've done it. Or, but, you know... 
how do I know when to talk and when not to talk? Or, you know, you know um, but you, know, you, you, you said that uh, I could get up and walk around the room. Not during the exam. Um, and sometimes I get really, you know, sometimes I just wish I was a little bit stricter in that sense and a little bit colder and a little bit more black and white. It's like, no, that's a punishment. It's like, no argument. Um, so I've, you, what I want to say is I value reason and understanding. But when you have a look at this passage here, it's madness, isn't it? It seems crazy. How can a loving God, a God who condemns murder, who says that murder is wrong, how can they say, how can he be asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, his one and only son, the son who he loves? And what are we to learn from it? Are we to learn blind obedience? Is that what we're to learn? If God asks you to, uh, to sacrifice somebody or to go and murder someone, should we be doing that as Christians? Because we've got an example here. Abraham is told us to do something, and without complaint, he does it. And Abraham is held up to be this great example of faith. So should we be following that blind, uh, that example, a great example of blind faith? You see, this place that Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac, this is a bit of a sidetrack, sorry, at the land of Moriah, scholars have figured out that this mount uh, is the same place as where Solomon's temple was built. So quite literally, this place which is important to Christians and Jews and Muslims, there have been wars waged over this place. So they know this story. And it's a very important story. It is the current location of the Muslim shrine, the Dome of the Rock. And that rock doesn't refer to the mountain. It refers to the rock on which Abraham was supposedly, not sure how they know, supposedly uh, going to sacrifice his son. And, this, um, and so this, this story is very much at the heart of Judaism, Judaism and Islam. And to those religions, it is not just a story about faith. It is a, uh, it's more about obedience. In both religions, there is no salvation by faith. They're not saved by their faith. They're saved by their religious observance. Obedience, if you like. That's what makes them righteous. So as Christians, are we to learn anything different? Well, I really hope that none of you go away thinking that you should go and sacrifice your children. I know that maybe if they've, you might be tempted if they've kept you up the whole night. And I know that some of you have probably lost count of the number of times that's happened. Please don't hear me when I say, you know, this is a great example. Go and sacrifice. No, don't, don't hear that. So how do we know that this, faith, uh, this passage is more about faith than about obedience. The Bible tells us. If you want to turn to it, uh, we're going to look at it twice actually. Hebrews 11:17. Just very briefly now, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 says, "By faith Abraham was tested, offering up Sir Isaac." Okay. We're going to come back to that, 
because it's an important uh, passage that explains what's going on here. But it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And so we know it's about faith. And again in James chapter 2, you don't need to turn this one, to this one, uh, verse 21 to 23, takes it a little bit further and says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up uh, his son Isaac on the altar? You can't just take that in isolation. He then goes on to say, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see, the obedience comes as a result of faith. It is not what leads us to righteousness. It's the faith that leads us to righteousness. But the faith leads to obedience. It's not a requirement of it. Or rather, it is an outworking of it. If you're not sure about this, James is a great book to read further about the the idea of the differences of faith and works. But you may still be thinking, it's madness. It's still madness. How can a God of love who has repeatedly said that murder is wrong ask Abraham to do this? It's a horrendous act, isn't it? And God hasn't given, uh, but whilst God hasn't given his Ten Commandments to Abraham, the the, the Ten Commandments come later with Moses, we know that God condemns uh, and curses uh, Cain, who kills Abel Abel in in Genesis 4. And it's clear in uh, in Genesis 7, when uh, God says to Noah, after the flood, from his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So murder is obviously wrong, even by this time in the Bible. And part of the answer is this. As Craig was telling you about Abraham, you should realize that God has been with Abraham for about 30 years or more now. God has been shaping and testing Abraham. Abraham has often failed. But God has been shaping and testing Abraham. And up to the, uh, as we get to know someone, anyone, in a relationship, and especially as we grow as Christians, and we know God's character more, we learn to trust him more. You see, there's that strange question. I don't know whether you've ever had it. I, I've had it a couple of times. Where a close friend of yours asks you, do you trust me? It's a great question, isn't it? I'm always really kind of suspicious at this point. Maybe that's the kind of friends I have. They say, do you trust me? And it's always, it always precedes something that's going to happen that you would never let a stranger do. You know, you've got to have a certain amount of trust there. Maybe they blindfold you and take you to some, somewhere. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Well, it depends on who asks. Okay. But it's something that only a close friend can ask. Do you trust me? And these years that God has been with Abraham have been teaching him to trust God. And Abraham has learned to trust God. Now, you may think that's enough, uh, but for me, that's not enough. Okay, it's still 
as my, even if I know if I've known and some of my oldest friends I've known for that long, 25 years maybe more. Um, I'm not t- totally convinced of this. If they ask me to go and kill somebody, I'm not going to do it. I, you know, I don't know whether I could do that if God asked me to do it. Uh, and I've been a, cri- a Christian, uh, yeah, maybe about that long, maybe a little bit longer. Um, do you trust me? So for me, that's, I mean, that's too simple an argument. So uh, why doesn't, I mean, the other thing is really, why doesn't Abraham question God? If we go back a couple of chapters to chapter 18, uh, you don't need to turn back to it, but God, uh, Abraham intercedes for the Sodomites. He says, uh, I don't know whether you remember the story, but he says, if I find 50 righteous men, will you, will you spare the Sodomites? And then he says, if I find 40 men, will you spare them? And God says, yes, 40 men. 30 men, will you spare Sodom? Yes, 30 men. 20, 10. And God concedes all the way down to 10. And you can see Abraham is arguing for the Sodomites. If I can find 10 righteous men, will you... This is his son. Why isn't he doing the same arguments? Why isn't he railing against God? God, is there any other way? Do you really need my son? But you've promised... Through my son, you promised me uh, to make my descendants a great nation. How can you do that through my, yeah, if I don't have any children? I'm getting too old now. Do I have to go through the sleepless nights of the baby waking up again? No, he probably wouldn't have argued that one. But why doesn't he argue here? Well, if you've got a finger in Hebrews 11, let's go back to that. Let me read again from verse 17. So this is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 onwards. By uh, by faith Abraham was tested, offered up, uh, when when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was evil, even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You see that Abraham knew God's promises. This is why it's important to know God's promises, know the Bible, and trusted that God would fulfill those promises, because he has done in the past, and he's never failed Abraham. He would fulfill those promises that he would make a great nation and his descendants uh, of his descendants and that all nations, that's us, all nations would be blessed through Isaac. So as scary as this might have been, it's not just a case of faith uh, or just some fuzzy idea of faith. You know, I have faith in you. I have faith that you might pass your exams, etc., Uh, Abraham knew the promises and knew that God would fulfill those promises. Our faith is based on more than just some fuzzy hope, some idea of hope, some fuzzy idea of trust, some fuzzy idea of promises. Not a human (coughs) promise or human faith. It is that God keeps his promises. So what do we learn from this? Certainly not blind obedience. 
I hope that you see that it's not blind obedience that causes Abraham to follow these commands. How does our faith compare? I can't help but compare Abraham's great faith to the faith of the the rich young man that Jesus talks to and says, give up your wealth and follow me. And he goes away sad. What happens when... um, so how does it compare? How does that compare to one of his you know, giving up your one and only son? And what happens when everything around or everything that God is asking you to do seems like madness, and you cry out to God, "This doesn't make sense. Why have you sent me to this, you know, very hot, insect-infested place?" I don't know. Um, why have you sent me you know, here? <laughs> why have you sent me to this place where you know, it's, it's so, so far from anywhere else? Why have you sent me away? Okay. And what are you holding above God? Is there anything that you wouldn't be willing to sacrifice for God? You have to ask yourself that question. Is it your wealth? Is it your intelligence? Is it your good reputation among your friends? Because that's what we'd lose if we, we're in danger of losing if we tell them about our faith and tell them about how important Christianity is to us. That reputation among your friends. Could be your comfort, not stepping out of your comfort zone. It could be your husband or your wife or your future husband or your future wife. Are you prepared to be single for the rest of your life? Your children. Perhaps even more importantly now, it's your time. Does your church commitment even come into the picture when you're considering that promotion? Some of you might not be afraid of telling other people about the gospel, but if only you had the time. Will you take that extra little moment little time, a lunch, a, yeah, a cup of coffee, to go and tell a friend about your faith, to share your faith, to show what is most central to you, this trust you have in God, or even telling your children, will you take the extra time to tell your children about your faith and why it is so important? Would you be willing to give up your friends and family and move to a strange tropical country? If God asks you to, it does seem like madness to everyone else, doesn't it? How about taking five children and moving to Kenya? How will you respond to these tests? Will you trust him, knowing that everything that you have can be taken away, but everything that's most dear, glory and eternity, and this relationship, eternal relationship with God, can never be taken away from you. You see, that's what the martyrs have, through history have seen. Everything on this earth can be taken away from you, but that relationship with God, that, that eternity, can never be taken away from you. You'll be relieved to hear that my second point is a little bit shorter. But it's just as important. 
I've labelled it Know the Father's Anguish and His Love. Know the Father's Anguish and His Love. So many of you here have children. Um, and this is the part of the reason, I, I'm not sure how qualified I feel to, to be talking about this, but this is the reason why this passage is so painful to read, because many of you will put yourself into the position of Abraham. Remember, as I said at the beginning, Isaac is 25 years in the waiting, desperately asking and pleading with God for that child. He's now grown up, old enough to carry the wood, so at least 12 years old, maybe more, 15, 12, 15. That's maybe the, the, the age of your children. They've seen him and nurtured him and... God knows what he's asking here. In verse 2, he says, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And there's that repeated phrase, your only son, at the end of the passage. What a terrible thing to ask. And in the three-day journey there, and then they reach... What was going through Abraham's mind in that three-day journey? And when they reach there, as they're heading up, Isaac asked that really awful question, that poignant question. My father, behold the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? I don't know how Abraham couldn't help but break down at this point. But we have to trust that the spirit-inspired uh, the, the spirit writings of the, uh, of, of the author of Hebrews knows what he's talking about when uh, he says that Abraham knew and that Abraham isn't just lying to Isaac when he says God will provide we have to trust that the gospel writers the spirit inspired gospel writers are right in saying that Abraham knew Abraham isn't lying when he says God will provide and God does provide here not the lamb that Abraham predicts it's a ram but later it's the lamb that we need. God will provide. He provides the lamb. Some, some uh, biblical scholars will argue about whether this is an allegory for Jesus. But I, I think there's no doubt about it. There's a link to the temple. Isaac is the son, the only son who he loved. In Matthew seven, uh, sorry, in Matthew chapter three, verse seventeen, when Jesus is baptized, you you know it, don't you? Uh, a voice from heaven says, "This is my beloved son, who I with whom I am well pleased." Same words, isn't it? This is my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. Just like Isaac is the one and only son whom Abraham loves. There are the promises fulfilled and through whom all nations will be blessed. Through Isaac, through Jesus. But I want to dwell on Abraham for a minute. He is the father. Even knowing and trusting God, even if he knew and trusted God, how painful and experienced must this have been for Abraham? How difficult must it have been for him? I mean, some of your, you as parents might have seen your children going through painful experiences. Maybe 
been in hospital, surgery, or even something as simple as an injection, do you not feel that pain with them? You know it's good for them. You know that, and you trust the doctors, but it's still painful, isn't it? You, you probably feel everything. God, who didn't have to wait 25 years, but lived in perfect communion with his son since the dawn of time, for eternity, sacrificed his only son, the son who he loved, for us. God, like Abraham, knew that Jesus would be resurrected, still stood by and watched his son suffering immeasurable agony, being crucified, and having that perfect union with God cut off. He still went through and let his son be sacrificed. And so in knowing this, I want to point you in the direction of uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Let me read this out. Knowing this, uh, the pain that this father went through. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's his own beloved son, Jesus. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? So next time you ask for something from God, remember that, please. If you ever question God's love, if you ever think it might have been easy for God to let Jesus die, then look at Genesis 22 and remember the pain through which Abraham suffered. And that is just a shadow of the pain that God suffers as he lets Jesus die on the cross. To Isaac, Abraham says, God will provide the lamb, and for all of us, he did. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we can call you Father. You have adopted us into your family and that you, you let your son be sacrificed. You sacrificed your son so that we can be part of that family. You loved us so much that you would go through that pain. And help us to respond with trust and faith and through that obedience. And Lord, we pray that you give us strength for when you test us. And Lord, we help us to look forward to that eternity in heaven. And we will be in that perfect communion with you. So help us to look to the cross and know your love and trust in you. In Jesus' name, Amen.